Jesus has been teaching us of the wonderful relationship that we have with him. He declared that he is the vine and we are the branches. He spoke of the love that he and his father have for us and his desire for us to abide in that love. He says, I don't call you servants anymore. I now call you my friends. He has spoken to us of this wonderful relationship that we have with his father and with the Holy Spirit and with the Son of God. He also talked about the relationship that we have with other believers whom we are to love. But now you'll notice Jesus begins to speak about another relationship. Our relationship to the world. And this explains the the sudden shift in in topic here. He, He tells us now that because we belong to him, because we bear fruit in him, because we are connected to him as the branches, that as we reflect his character, as his spirit bears witness in us, the world will hate us for his sake. Before he returned to his father, Jesus wanted his disciples to understand the the darker and the more challenging implications of being his disciple. And he wants us to understand this as well. He wants us to know that while life in him is fruitful and it is joyful and it involves friendship with Jesus... Life in Jesus in this world is also fraught with opposition and hostility and even hatred. Because we bear fruit in him, because we are his friends, the world, says Jesus, will hate us on account of him. Now this is an aspect of discipleship that is overlooked or even denied by many churches in our land today. Many churches today which either wittingly or unwittingly espouse a prosperity gospel either ignore or say the opposite of what Jesus says here. Jesus is saying to us, understand this. You will, in this world, face opposition. The world is not going to love you as its own. So let's think about what Jesus says here. And the first thing that he underlines for us is that being recipients of his love may bring the world's hatred. Verse 18 of chapter 15, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you went down through this passage, uh, there are some key words that are repeated over and over again. Jesus uses the word hate eight times, the word persecute twice, and there are over 20 references to the world. And when Jesus talks about the world here, he is 
talking about the world as the contingent of mankind that are in league with the evil one. Those who are apart from Christ, those who are part of this present evil system which Satan has attempted to set up in opposition to Jesus and his kingdom. The world, to put it in the words of Psalm 2, the world, they are the nations who rage against the Lord and his anointed. Now Jesus outlines for us why it is that the world is going to hate us. He tells us, first of all, that we are going to be hated because of where we belong. Verse 19, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. We don't belong to this world. This is not our home. We await a better city whose builder and maker is God. And because we don't belong, because we don't adopt the ways of thinking, the systems of this world, Jesus says, you will be hated. So we're hated because of of where we belong, but we're hated also because of who we belong to. Again, Jesus has been teaching us of the blessed reality of our union with him. He has said again and again in different ways that by the Holy Spirit, Christ and his Father are in us and we are in them. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. And that, says Jesus, is why you should expect hostility and opposition. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. But Jesus also says that we will be hated because of the witness we bear. Verse 27, and you also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Having the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in us, That means that by our very existence, we bear witness in this world to Jesus, to the veracity of his word, the joy of Jesus in us, his word dwelling in us, our commitment to the scriptures, our insistence that Jesus is the only way to the Father, that witness exposes and confronts the world and condemns them as guilty. And if people don't respond in faith and adoration of Jesus, if they continue in their rebellion, then they will hate us because of the testimony that we bear. Now, the same forces that opposed the early church, those same forces are still active today. In the early church, the apostles 
and other believers, they were not persecuted for saying Jesus is Lord. They were persecuted for saying Jesus is the only Lord. They were persecuted for saying he is the one way to the Father. If they would have just said, you know, Jesus is Lord, but it's okay if you believe that Caesar is Lord. If they would have said, yes, Jesus is my Lord, but I'll offer a pinch to Lord Caesar, a pinch of incense to Lord Caesar, they would have been left alone. But Christians throughout the ages have held to the exclusive claims of King Jesus. And very often, that is the reason that they are persecuted and hated and opposed. And Jesus also tells us here that the persecution and hatred of Christians that that will seem like a good thing to the world. 16, verse 2. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. The previous verse, he talked about being, they're going to put you out of the synagogues. To use today's terminology, don't be surprised when the world tries to cancel you because of me. Cancel culture is really nothing new. Putting someone out of the synagogue was their version of canceling someone. Life went through the synagogue. It was their community center. And if you were put out of the synagogue, from a worldly perspective, your life was ruined. And Jesus is telling us, don't be surprised when they try to cancel you, when they try to silence you and destroy you and ruin your reputation and cripple you financially or even kill you. And I think it is true, Jesus' words ring true today, that people who engage in this cancel culture do so, do so with a sort of a religious fervor as though they are offering service to God. Jesus is warning us. Be ready for it. Expect it. Don't be surprised by it. I think a good qualifier here is I don't think that we are taught in the Bible that the Christian life is constant hatred and hostility. We don't see that in the New Testament. There are times of, of prosperity. There were times of persecution. The Lord won't test us beyond what we can bear. But nevertheless, Jesus says, you need to be ready and you need to expect this. And sadly, and this is, it's tragic, it's reprehensible when this kind of thing goes on inside the church. There are people that I believe show themselves to belong to the world when 
they hate people in the church and they and they bully them and they destroy them and they they slander them and because today we we shy away from church discipline this becomes more common the church should be a refuge for believers and it is not only the responsibility of the leadership but of but of all of us if if we sense something like that is going on and one of our lesser brothers or sisters is getting beaten down we need to say something we need to stand up we need to come to their defense now why is jesus telling us this remember the disciples were already anxious and discouraged i mean we what would we do i think we would say why well, everything's going to be okay and yet to these anxious and discouraged men he tells them the world is going to hate you but jesus tells us in the first verse of chapter 16 he says i've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away Jesus tells us this because he loves us so that you won't lose your faith so that when this happens, you know that this isn't the Christian life going wrong. And again, it does damage to people when churches deny this truth or actually preach the opposite. And then you have Christians who face opposition and they're thinking, I'm doing something wrong here. I must not have enough faith. My Christian life has gone wrong. Now, Jesus has said these things to steady us, to ready us, to keep us from falling away. And he, he tells us that what is going to stabilize us what is going to prepare us to be opposed and hated and to stand firm is to have his word hidden in our hearts. Verse 4 of 16, he says, But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. We need to hide this word in our heart. And an interesting feature of Psalm 119 that we, we know, it's all about the word of God from beginning to end. But I think we would be surprised how many of those verses we hear the psalmist talk about hiding the word of God in his heart, specifically in the midst of persecution and opposition. Psalm 119, uh, verse 11, he says, I have stored your word in my heart. Verses 23 and 24. Even though princes sit plotting against me. Persecution. Your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight and are my counselors. Verses 50 to 52. Again, the context of persecution. This is my comfort in my affliction. That your promises give me life. 
The insolent utterly deride me, but I do not turn away from your law. Jesus wants us to know his word so intimately and so deeply that when these pressures come against us, we are able to take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, take up the shield of faith in order that we might stand firm in him. In Ephesians 6, the the whole armor of God is essentially a metaphor for putting on Christ and his word. It will do us no good if we face opposition and we're not ready and afterwards say, I wish I knew the scriptures better. Jesus says, hide my word in your heart. You may remember what I told you. So Jesus clearly teaches that being recipients of his love may bring the world's hatred. But secondly, I want us to think about the the comfort that is concealed in the world's hatred. Jesus had just talked about us having joy in the previous section. He, He wants our joy to be full. He wants us to be a joyful people. But how can we rejoice in the midst of oppositions? How, can, how did the saints of old rejoice when they faced persecution? I think it's a relevant question because we need to ask, how can we, how can we be mistreated and abused and bullied without it destroying us, but it actually comforting us. Well, the Spirit will bear witness in us that the the mistreatment we experience is actually indicative of some very comforting truths. And the first is simply, you are not of this world. You are of the kingdom of heaven. Notice how there is comfort concealed in Jesus' statement here. He says, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, that's why the world hates you. You don't belong here. This isn't your home. Paul says something similar in Philippians 3. He talks about the enemies of the cross of Christ. He says their end is, is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The world's hatred can assure us and comfort us that our citizenship is in heaven. But we are also comforted because it can assure us that we are united to Jesus by faith. Verse 21, all these things they will do to you on account of my name. 
In other words, opposition comes because he chose us because we are in him. And the world senses Jesus in us. But it also can comfort us by assuring us that we are becoming like our Savior. As we become more like Jesus, as we bear fruit in him, that usually means more opposition and hatred from the world. And the more opposition we encounter, the more, in the words of Paul, we share in his sufferings. Paul uses an interesting phrase in Philippians 3.10 where he talks about the fellowship or the communion of Christ's sufferings. In other words, our, our sufferings can give us a point of unity with our Savior and actually give us assurance that we're becoming like him. But I would submit to you that there is a, a flip side to this. The hatred of the world can indicate to us when we're becoming like him. But what does it say about us when the world loves us? What does it say about us when the world welcomes us as one of its own? Listen to Charles Ross and his piercing statement here. He says, if the world, the sinful, unrenewed world, loves you, it is because it sees in you its own and claims you for its property. Oh, if we could only see to the bottom of this matter, we should perceive with horror that whatever there may be in us that is pleasing to the sinful world belongs to the flesh. Be rebuked, therefore, and put to shame by the sinful world if it loves you, and cast out whatever it finds to love. I think we need to ask ourselves today, are, are we are we worth hating? Are we worth persecuting? Are we really a threat to this present world? You know, when Jesus talked about the church, um, talking about how the gates of hell will not prevail against it, Jesus envisions an offensive operation. You don't uh, gates don't attack you. You attack gates. Are we worth hating? It's interesting how you see this, this principle work out in athletics. What kind of teams are hated? It's never the team that stinks. No one hates the Carolina Panthers. They just, they pity them. They're not a threat to anyone. People hate the Kansas City Chiefs because they're a threat to anyone. They, they are winners. And I think the same is true for us. If we, we are more than conquerors 
through him who has loved us. And if we go forth bringing the gospel to the world, then we are a threat to this world. And that makes us worth being hated. But it also comforts us because it it leads us to remember Christ's suffering. I think we need to be aware of this today because today the mantle of victimhood is worn like a badge of honor. It's, it's like a contest. Who's the greater victim? Who's been more abused? How do we cast off the mantle of victimhood as his people? How do we resist that temptation to self-pity? Well, it's we look to the cross and we remember that no one suffered more. No one was more persecuted, more hated, more abused than our Savior. And I think that when we experience the hatred of the world, we can look at ourselves and say, or we have to say to our kids sometimes, as we look to the cross of Christ and we look to ourselves, we have to say to ourselves, don't be so dramatic. No one suffered more than our Savior. And while our suffering can be a point of union with him, our suffering is incomparable to him. But finally, we we are assured when the world hates us, we're actually assured that Christ reigns. Now, I want us to think about what's our usual response when when we are opposed because of Christ or we hear someone else opposed or hated or persecuted. As I look at my own response, I think we look at the disciples' response in Acts and I think we see a very different one. Let me read to you from Acts 4 where Peter and John were hauled before the council and they were threatened and they were told not to preach the gospel anymore. Here's what happened afterwards. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priest and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, here's Psalm 2, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continue to speak 
the word of God with boldness. They saw the opposition they were experiencing through the lens of Psalm 2 and it confirmed to them that Jesus reigns. They had hid his word in their hearts so that when the hour of opposition came, they remembered what the Lord had said to them and they were encouraged by it. They saw it as an assurance that King Jesus is on his throne and he's extending his kingdom to the ends of the earth. Whether it's athletics or the battlefield or the military, the athlete and the soldier, I think, spend much more time preparing and training and doing things behind the scenes than they do on the actual battlefield. There are meetings, there's study, there's mental preparation. Those are the things that get the athlete and the soldier battle ready so that when the conflict comes, they can stand firm. And the same is true for us in the spiritual we shouldn't expect constant opposition, but Jesus says it will come. And in times of peace, those are times to prepare by hiding his word in our heart. That when the hour comes, we can take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God and the shield of faith and stand firm in our king who reigns. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we ask for you to implant these words within our hearts. Lord, you were hated without cause. Lord, may we actually be comforted when we experience opposition, knowing that the world hated you first. Lord, guard us against self-pity. May we look to your Son who suffered so greatly for us. And Lord, in this time of relative peace and calmness, Lord, may, may you enable us to truly hide your word deep within our hearts so that when the hour comes, we may stand in your power. Lord, sustain us. We Lord, we acknowledge that you indeed reign. That while we often fret over evildoers, we are told that he who sits in the heavens laughs. Lord, equip us, sustain us, and Lord Jesus, come quickly. We pray in his great name.